Welcome back, OTRs. Last week, we introduced you to heuristics, or the mind's way of rapidly processing data. This week, we want to focus a little bit more about how you can leverage heuristics in your practice to improve your medicine, as well as help your clients make difficult decisions when looking at diagnostics or treatment options. So stay tuned for more exciting information about heuristics. So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on calls, and emergencies, how can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market? That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. Welcome back, everyone. So last week, we talked about several basic examples of how your heuristics impact medicine. We talked about the familiarity heuristic, using the old doctor so-and-so treatment bias, where the client recognized that an old doctor used to treat an animal a different way than you did, and they had success with that. So that caused them to be biased towards their previous example of treatment. The second heuristic we talked about was the availability heuristic, or the brain's bias to base a diagnosis or a decision on the ease of recalling a specific solution. So in that example, we talked about how rabies is always a top differential in everybody's mind for a neurologic disease, because it's easy to recall that particular disease, even though there may be more likely options. And the final heuristic we talked about last week was the anchoring and adjustment heuristic. And that was the biases that we introduce in our brains by the starting point we start with for information. So we use the Mount um, Everest example, where we gave the 15,000 versus 45,000 feet. And how a higher number at an initial starting point will tend to people tend to make people guess a higher number when they're doing um, a guess or a dosing versus a lower number will tend to make them guess or dose a little bit lower. So those are three heuristics that we introduced last week. But what I want to do today is talk a little bit more about three ways that we can apply heuristics to improve medicine and facilitate the decision-making process for our clients. So imagine this scenario. You're out on a herd check call in a classic tie stall barn, um, mattresses, narrow stalls, posts every um, couple stalls. And we've all kind of seen this. This is the classic barn where we start to see some older cows generally tend to get a little bit crampy. You know, some sore hocks, um, some arthritis, things like that. Now imagine you're at this herd check and you're presented with a high dollar old cow that's slow to rise and likes to dog sit. Now they've moved her into a box stall. And the cow seems to get up and down relatively okay, um, but just is a little bit slow. The animal is eating and milking quite well. So in our mind, this is a classic for this scenario, right? And the owner is not surprised by it and asks for some kind of medical recommendation for pain management for this cow. So she can get around and just be more comfortable. Now, this is an easy scenario to picture. It's a common problem in this farm. And it's easy to assume the diagnosis. But given that you're a good, astute veterinarian, 
you're going to do a physical examination. And on that physical examination, you reveal large flank lymph nodes, large pelvic lymph nodes, and some hind end weakness. However, the owner notes, oh, we noticed those a while ago, but the family tends to run with bigger lymph nodes. They, all, the, all the daughters, all the, all the dams tend to have bigger lymph nodes. Now, this is a classic example of the simulation heuristic. And this is where the brain bases the likelihood of an event's occurrence on how easily you can imagine it occurring. And this is something that is easy to fall into as a diagnostician or even a producer. Mm -hmm. And we need to be cognizant of avoiding such, such assumptions. So for the producer, it was easy for him to picture that particular animal slowly getting arthritic over time versus, you know, the fatal slow growing cancer in this animal that's causing its weakness. So the simulation heuristic can be a great tool to help convince clients to pursue a specific diagnosis or outcome. It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative like in this case. So picture the second scenario. You diagnose a heifer calf with pneumonia and you've recommended antibiotic and anti-inflammatory. But the producer says, you know, I don't want to pill or IV this animal. Can I just give it the antibiotic? And in the producer's mind, they're picturing that antibiotic attacking that bacteria, killing it off, and the calf being healthy. Very easy scenario to picture in their mind, right? Now, when you want to apply this heuristic to the field and change this mentality from the, for the producer, you need to kind of create a vivid story or something that's more vivid or easier recalled than their scenario where they give an antibiotic and you get a solution in a healthy calf. So you're going to create a story. And for example, this is a story that I've used before. So I like to sit them down and say, I'm going to explain about the immune system antibiotics. So the immune system antibiotics will attack that bacteria. But as they're attacking this, there's a huge amount of collateral damage done to the tissue around it, which can create scarring. But it's just like a battlefield. You're going to have shell holes here, shell craters here. You could have some um, civilians injured. All of those kinds of things can happen in this battlefield for pneumonia. What the anti-inflammatory does is it acts as a shield, reducing the damage that occurs to the surrounding tissue, reducing the scarring, which then in turn means you get more functional lung tissue left after you clear that infection and hopefully as as normal possible a calf as you can get after a pneumonia event. So now this client can vividly picture this quote-unquote battle scene in their mind, and they will hopefully imagine this every time they treat a calf. Rather than thinking about their initial vision, they're going to think about this very vivid battlefield vision. So this allows for a shift in their simulation heuristic thinking. Now given this story, I'd like to give issue you guys a challenge. I'd like you to think about the number one thing you fight clients over. And then go home and create a vivid story about it. Take some time, think about it, write it down, commit it to memory, and then try to apply it the next time that comes that particular case or that particular example comes up. And again, if it works for you, please come to the Operators to Owners Forum. Again, otovets.com forward slash Facebook dash group and share your example so that we can all you know take advantage of your experience and of that story that's helped improve your medicine. The next example of applied heuristics centers around our client's experience of a particular event. Now, this is a really interesting particular 
um, heuristic. So I'm really excited to tell you about it. Um, so picture this scenario. You diagnose a fatty liver cow with a DA. And the owner says, oh, she's a great cow. You need to cut her. She's, you know, she's a winner. She'll be fine. So with a caveat, with an asterisk, you agree to cut her if they will follow up exactly to your treatment regime. And that means to the T. So let's say you give them two options. Option one is going to involve IV pumping, antibiotics, pills, intermuscular injections. So it's pretty all-inclusive. Now this plan results in three days of treatment. On the first day of treatment, you're going to do two different treatments. On the second day of treatment, you're going to have five different treatments. And on the third day of treatment, there will be eight different mm -hmm. treatments. And that's option one. So again, two, five, and eight treatments. Now you give them option number two, which is exactly the same. IV, pump, antibiotics, pills, intermuscular injections. Again, day one, two treatments. Day two, five treatments. Day three, eight treatments. However, you're going to have a fourth day. And on the fourth day, you're going to do five treatments again. So you're going to have five different steps on that fourth day on top of what they had to do before. So now, assuming your client has previously experienced each of these two treatment options before with equal success, which one do you think they'll pick? Now, according to the peak and end heuristic, clients will more often pick option number two because it has the extra step at the end. Now, this is counterintuitive of what a lot of people are going to think, but peak end heuristics are related to the amount of discomfort at the peak of an event and at the end of an event. That is to say they take the average of those two events. So again, in option one, we had a two, a five, and an eight-step treatment. In option number two, we had a two, a five, an eight, and a five-step treatment, which meant that the client is less likely to pick option number one because the peak is the same as the end versus option number two where the peak and the end are different and it lowers the overall threshold or the average of the amount of treatments they need to do. Again, their brain averages the peak or end peak and end discomfort to create a total discomfort or work ratio. So leveraging peak and end heuristics is something I think we need to strongly consider when we're considering these long-term treatment protocols and creating a higher level of compliance. So by bracketing intensive treatment protocols, such as a fatty liver protocol, with easy supportive care models, we can reduce client and employee discomfort with such protocols while improving the selection of those protocols when needed and improving the compliance when they're actually implemented. While doing this, by adding this in, the addition of these supplemental protocols by using supportive care to kind of tail end them. So I guess better explained is if we use things that are supportive care rather than direct treatment care to tail end these protocols, we can increase compliance. So if we add things like B vitamins, propylene glycol, or other non-antibiotic-based treatments, that's a great way to kind of leverage the peak and end heuristic without significantly increasing undue treatments, costs, 
and still being beneficial to the animal's end result. So I, again, I think that this is pretty interesting. The peak and end heuristic was kind of developed um, when they're looking at pain points in people. They're looking at uh, pain experience during colonoscopies um, and other procedures and other research trials where they actually induced pain. And that's where they found this 2, 5, and 8 rule and 2, 5, 8, and 5 rule. But it is a very interesting concept when you start to think about really intensive treatment protocols and reducing that pushback against them. So the third and final applied heuristic principle that I want you guys to know about is called the fast and frugal tree. And it's, a, it's based upon heuristics. And the fast and frugal tree has been used with great success in human medicine to improve diagnostic efficiency, accuracy, and reduce cost when they triage heart disease. So there's one pretty good case study that evaluated three different methods of heart disease evaluation in an emergency room in a Michigan hospital, I believe. The first detection method for heart disease was just an emergency room evaluation. And these evaluations resulted, excuse me, in 90% of the patients that complained of chest pain going to the coronary care unit, which led to overcrowding, a decrease in overall quality of care of that cardiac unit, and it increased costs. Ultimately, it was found that 90% of these patients with chest pain that were referred, only 25% of those cases actually had a true cardiac event. So clearly not a great method to start with. So after this, the hospital introduced a second model or a second method for heart disease evaluation, and they called it a predictive model. It evaluated 50 different parameters, which basically required a pocket calculator when you're evaluating a person for a coronary event. It's a very complicated system. They said that they experienced decent success while the researchers were there, but after the researchers left, compliance with the system seemed to drop. So there's a lot of different range in the success. So they found that this particular emergency room on this predictive model program experienced a 20 to 99% false positive ratio and a 20 to 90% true positive ratio. So basically, we didn't see a lot of improvement from the first system, only about 10%, but they had to collect 50 different parameters. So again, they increased the overall cost. They're still overcrowding that unit, still um, decreasing the quality of care, but they didn't miss very many. So the third model came in and that's where these researchers came in and implemented what they called the fast and frugal tree or the fast and frugal heuristic tree. And it's a simple three-step procedure and each step is only a yes or no answer. So if they answer yes at a specific step, that is where the diagnostics stop and the person is sent to the coronary care unit. If they answer no, it goes to the next step. And this whole tree was limited to three decision-making steps. What this did is it resulted in a reduction of 50% of false positives and approximately a 5% improvement in true positive detection. So it had about a 90% true positive and a under 50% false positive. So it was very successful and they said that it reduced overall costs per patients, reduced the overall patients in that coronary care unit and just overall increased efficiency in the emergency room. So 
in this way, by using fast and frugal heuristics, you can leverage the diagnostician's reliance on single heuristic decisions. So the things we've talked about that tend to tend for us to lean towards rapid decision making through heuristics, we can leverage that. And then instead of presenting that diagnostician with this mental challenge of there's here's 50 different parameters and you evaluate them, we make a very simplistic yes or no decision using the heuristics of experience, making it very black and white for that particular individual. This helps us eliminate our natural biases towards treatment to cover our butts, quote unquote, or just to do something. And we can improve overall efficiency, reduce costs, and improve care towards the patients that actually need it. So we have veterinarians, as veterinarians, especially large animal veterinarians, have been using heuristics without knowing it for years. But I still notice that some of my own protocols and even some of my peers throughout the industry um, in their SOPs are unexplainably complicated. Now, the simplification of diagnostic criteria, I think, is a must to help us improve employee efficiency, reduce costs, and cause proper actions to be taken over time. If we can minimize these diagnostic steps to three maximum steps in the tree, um, that'll become absolutely critical in getting better compliance. And again, I want to emphasize each step in this tree should be a yes or no only. So here, let me give you a little bit of an example. Let's say we have a fresh cow with 103 degree temperature. Let's make a simplistic, fast and frugal flow chart that, for this, okay? So what's our presenting complaint? Presenting complaint is 103.5 temperature. So immediately, let's say we rectal her because we're back there and we just got the temperature. So let's say, does she have metritis or an RP? Yes or no? So if we say yes, she enters the metritis or RP treatment protocol. If she does not, let's listen to the lungs. Does she have pneumonia? Yes or no? Okay, if she does, we treat her. If she does not, we move on to the next step. Say so the next step, let's CMT her. Does she have mastitis? Yes or no? If she does, let's treat her. If she doesn't, then we pull her off to the side, let's say, and give her aspirin and observe her. So a pretty simplistic flow chart. Obviously, overly simplistic. You want to make sure you don't have a DA or something like that. But this is something that you can use with an employee to triage let's say a fresh pen or something like that, that makes the decision much less all-encompassing. So let's just say I have a herdsman who gets overwhelmed and needs to evaluate, you know, 10 or 12 different things for each cow that's off feed or something like that. That can be really, really challenging for a new herdsman. So now let's say you, you take this new herdsman and you say, okay, if they have 105 degree temp, you need to make these three decisions and just decide treat or not treat. And this is a great way to kind of triage that and make that that decision tree a little bit easier for them. Again, it won't catch 100% of all disease, but it's going to improve that efficiency and hopefully reduce undue treatments. It's going to reduce those treatments that people are just treating because she has a temp, so I should treat her. If a dairy really wants to get deeper, obviously you could add more steps to these particular fast and frugal trees. But I'd argue that you're not really a fast and frugal tree then. You're just sacrificing some efficiency. But using these steps can make things a little bit easier for everybody involved. So my challenge to you is go review your protocols and pick one disease. Just one single thing on there. Look up the predictive factors of that disease in the order that they usually occur. List and create a protocol that stops when one of those predictive factors is found. 
and then classify the disease based upon that predictive factor. So just remember, limit your fast and frugal trees to three tiers and try and keep it as yes or no. The easier you make it, the more efficient it will be, the, the, the um, more improvement you'll see in the overall flow of your fresh pens or of your cow evaluations. Well, OTRs, that's the last tips I have for heuristics, but I want to leave you with one last little fact, a fun fact that I kind of found um, while I was doing the research for these two podcasts and the content that we've generated the last two weeks. And that's research has shown that as we age and we experience natural cognitive decline, um, again, not disease driven, just natural age driven, we increase our reliance on heuristics almost to a fault. And this causes us to become more biased and less likely to differentiate new situations from old experiences. And I encourage you all, whether you're in veterinary school or to the tail end of your career, to try and remember this simple principle as you continue your career, hopefully long into the future. Don't let heuristics rule your medicine, and don't be afraid to leverage heuristics to make life easier for yourself and your clients and their employees. Carry on, OTRs. If you like this content, please like, share, and comment below. We want to get our message out to as many people as possible. So tell a friend, a colleague, or acquaintance about our content too. If you want more content, you can join our Facebook group at otovets.com forward slash Facebook dash group for daily content and podcast release updates. Thanks for joining us today, OTRs.